Welcome back into the Bama Beat Podcast brought to you by Wickles Pickles. Once again, this is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Brett Hudson. How are you doing this morning, Brett? Um, I'm, hmm, what's the right way to, to describe it? If I'm being honest, I was trying to make a Big Ten joke, and I, yep. I couldn't with one off the off the top of my head. I, I tweeted one that, that seems to be uh, enjoyed by, by Twitter, so I guess I can take the win where where I can get it. I'm doing better than the Big Ten in that I didn't sit on my hands for six weeks doing nothing. How about that? (laughs) Well, uh, now I guess it's – what does the Pac-12 do? I saw um, somebody – it was a USC player. I don't remember who it was. Um, It was was a couple of them. I saw Amon Ross, St. Brown, and Keaton Slovis both tweet stuff at California's governor saying they want to play. And and, and I'm like, dude, it's (laughs) – where was this uh, a month and a half ago when the Big Ten players and all these guys were pushing for it? And now it's like, man, you're really late to this party. I guess they've seen that it worked uh, or it seemingly has worked. And now they're wanting to try to do the same thing, going about it in a different way. They're not going after the their own conference or the, the, the Pac-12's commissioner, like I guess the Big Ten players and coaches and stuff did. But they're going after somebody and trying to get something done, but that's going to be way tougher. But we could do an entire podcast on that, and I don't want to spend too much time because we've got plenty to talk about. And I'm going to kind of let you run this because this was your baby, and I love this idea, so take it away. What are we going to be talking about? So we're doing some superlative predictions for for the season. I have a list of – some of them are player awards, uh, de facto player awards. Some of them are kind of – uh, nitty gritty specific predictions on stats or position groups and etc. So we're gonna we're gonna put some some names to big roles on on the team and um, put our predictions down for some things that could impact how good Alabama is this year. Is it a ten and O team that possibly um, wins the national championship or is this a nine and one eight and two? kind of team because I, I also did a best case worst case scenario for Alabama um, last week it's on the website on tidesports.com and I, I settled on a best case scenario of 10 and0 national champions and I settled on a worst case scenario of eight and two another two loss season um, and, and I'm sure some people might might disagree with that where, where do you stand on that very very quickly what what would you say as the best case worst case? Yeah, best case, obviously, the 10-0. I, I think you hit the nail on the head with 8-2. and and, and that's not to say – I think you could still potentially maybe even be a playoff team at 8-2 and two, considering it's a 10-game all-SEC schedule. It would just depend on what happened around the rest of the SEC. But, um, yeah, I, I think that that, in my opinion, when you look at this team compared to a lot of the other SEC teams and, and players that they've lost, you know, at Georgia and LSU – even you know after the initial wave of graduations and early entrants and stuff like that, I think that Alabama stacks up extremely well. So I would think that an eight and two season would be the the floor. But you know, uh, I guess we'll have to see. Yeah. So uh, a lot of the things we're going to predict and discuss today are going to go a long way in terms of which version of Alabama we get. Do we get a another disappointing version of Alabama that comes up short and in, in a couple of um, assets that leave it liable to some things like it was liable to some things in the LSU and Auburn games or are all of those things shored up in their their national championship contenders and, and possibly national championship winners so I've got a list of things 
we're going to run through and we're going to start with MVPs on both the offensive and defensive sides of the ball. So what is your prediction for an offensive MVP for Alabama this year? Uh, This one was one of the easier ones and and you've put some difficult ones down that we're going to have to talk about. But for me, I think going in, when you talk about star power and things like that, it had to be Najee Harris, right? I mean, is that who you went with? I also went with Najee, and I'm going to be honest. It was ultimately an easy one, but I toyed with the thought of Jalen Waddle more than I thought I would because he's he's if he's the same returner that he was from from last year, and I've I've made this statistical case in, in multiple stories that I've written on on Tidesports.com. He was clearly the best punt returner in the nation last year. There is a bevy of statistical evidence to suggest that actually uh, we're recording this on Wednesday morning. Uh, earlier this morning, a story of mine posted on Jalen Waddle that, that ran through that, uh, that case. You can find that on tiesports.com as well. If he is that same returner and he takes full advantage of his bigger role in the uh, wide receiver aspect of, of his job where he's maybe a thousand yard receiver with nine touchdowns or, or something like that. You can make a case for a season like that from Waddle being your being good enough to be your offensive MVP. But I, I ended up going with Najee because I do still think this team is going to be a little more run forward for reasons we've we've run through uh, multiple times. They return a bunch of offensive linemen. They've got a wealth of talented running back, so it just makes sense. And I remain a little skeptical that Steve Sarkeesian will split the load as much as Alabama has in the past. I mentioned it on a previous podcast that sharing the wealth among his his running backs is not something he has a track record of doing, whereas at, at Alabama, just going quickly through some stats, in 2018, 17, and 16, Alabama had two running backs with at least 100 carries. And actually, in all three of those seasons, they had two running backs with at least 120 carries. Um, I, I just Sarkeesian has never done that before. So I'm a little skeptical that he's going to do it, which, to be clear, I want him to do it because I think Brian Robinson Jr. is more capable than a lot of people think he is. And if he does it, then Trey Sanders is going to get the ball some, which is probably going to be great. Um, but I'm a little skeptical that he's actually going to do it. So you get a run forward team that leans a little bit on, on a workhorse type guy. And, and that just, it, it leads perfectly to Najee having the kind of statistical year that would make him the MVP choice. And to me, the reason that I went with him as the offensive MVP, MVP, a couple of reasons, actually. A, I completely agree. I think that much in the same way like last year, once Tua Tungvaloa got hurt, the offense started to kind of be run through Najee Harris, and that was evident to pretty much anybody that watched. So when you watch the offense, and, and if the offense has a ton of success, and that includes Najee Harris being one of the best statistical performers at his position in the country, which I think he certainly is capable of doing, then you kind of have to make him the offensive MVP because he is the reason. You know, he was the focal point of the offense. Uh, now, I also flirted with Jalen Waddle, and it was for the exact same reasons that you were talking about. As uh, my internal debate, as I was trying to decide on one, came down to well, 
as much as I want to include the special team stuff, if this is an offensive MVP, I have to, and and this is just me, you know, you could kind of approach this however you want to, but I was like, I'm only going to take offensive stuff into consideration here, even though that's not very logical in the back of your head, you would think of uh, Jalen Waddle's special team stuff as you had this debate and that could kind of push you in the direction of him winning. And I'd be totally fine with that. I'm just saying for me, I was like, I'm going to try to take out the special teams. And if it's just strictly offensive, I'm going to go with Najee Harris. So we ultimately have the same kind of debates and reach the same conclusion. So that's one down. Uh, but let's go ahead and switch to the defensive side of the football because this is one that, for me, it was you know pretty easy. But you might have got a different choice with this one. It's not as obvious. It would be it would be borderline hypocritical for me to choose anyone other than Dylan Moses. I, I, I've, I've said multiple times throughout the offseason that I think a healthy Dylan Moses – changes both the LSU and Auburn games to the point that Bama finishes last year undefeated. So if I were to pick anyone else as the defensive MVP, it'd be, it'd be borderline hypocritical. So I I went with Dylan Moses as the, the defensive MVP. And I think his, not only will he have a big statistical season because he's ridiculously athletic and he's, he's going to make a bunch of tackles and create some, some negative plays that, no one on the field for Alabama last year could have made, but also everything that he does communication-wise and, and organization-wise and everything else in the defense is going to add to his value. So it, it had to be Dylan Moses for me. I completely agree there, too. And, and there was other guys that I considered, you know, a Patrick Sertan, maybe potentially. Uh, but for me, Dylan Moses is going to be so much harder to scheme uh, against in the sense that, and maybe not that maybe that's not the fair way to put that. It's going to be harder to take him out of the the equation in any given game. Now for a corner, now granted this means you know if you have a lockdown corner that you have to avoid half of the field. That's about as impactful as you could possibly get because you're altering what the opposing offense can do. But it's just a lot. You know if you don't target that side of the field it's hard for Pat Sertan to be able to make some kind of major impact from a statistical standpoint, Dylan Moses being an off ball linebacker, middle of the defense, you know, can get sideline to sideline, good luck scheming anything up. That's going to be able to completely eliminate him from making plays. So I just think he'll be the more talked about guy, maybe not the most. And I do, I do actually think that he's probably the most important player, not just Alabama's defense, but maybe on the entire team. And we talked about that last year, with uh, when he went down with an injury, it kind of a lot of people were in agreement. So some people would have pointed towards Tua Tungvaloa being the most important player that could not go down, but there were a lot of people who supported the the idea that Dylan Moses was maybe a bigger loss for Alabama, especially in the way that they lost to those two games against Auburn and LSU. And when you go and look at the way that Mac Jones was able to step up, it kind of points in the direction that you know they, they had a much harder time replacing the kind of impact that Dylan Moses was going to have on the squad rather than Tua Tungvaloa. So for me, for him coming back, he might be a little bit rusty early on. That's it's a very strong possibility. Might be on some sort of snap count. They're deep at the position. They can afford to make some rotation. You might see a little bit of Shane Lee early in the season kind of rotating in there. But over the, over the course, I think it's going to ultimately be Dylan Moses, and you'll get to have that uh, impact uh, from that position. And, and I think it'll make a huge difference for Alabama's defense this year. Uh, I just want to shoot this out there for for the listener. In, in the event that the the substitution and the rotation thing does come to pass, and Dylan Moses runs off the field, and Shane Harris and Shane Lee runs onto it, 
I am going to delete my Twitter account. <laughs> Do not tweet at me because I no longer exist. Um, That's a good point. I, I just I, I have I have no desire for for that discourse at all. That, that's actually a really good point. And I like how you said Shane Harris. If we could just combine those two players, we might have the best linebacker ever uh, to ever step on a football field. Hey, hey Dylan, Mo- Dylan Moses is – which, by the way, shout out to the royal protector of the trust crown. Shout out to his majesty. If we could take <laughs> Dylan Moses's football IQ and his athleticism and put it in the thick body that Shane Lee has, you'd have an animal. You absolutely would. That'd be, that'd be awesome. Uh, shout out to the royal protector of the trust crown, as always, when discussing his majesty. So we, we both agree that offensive MVP will be Najee Harris. We both agree defensive MVP will be Dylan Moses. Who do you have as your offensive breakout player of the year? This this one was a lot tougher. Uh, and I, I wouldn't say I cheated because I have a very justifiable reason for deciding who I picked. Um, I kind of bounced back and forth with several different players. I think the first ones that would come to mind for a lot of people, and you might have picked one of these guys, would be John Mechie or Trey Sanders. Um, I also kind of went, and and you know, if, if Darian Dowcourt would have been projected to be the starter, I probably would have went Darian Dowcourt because I really am high on him and what he could potentially be at center for Alabama. It's just they're going to go the seniority route with Chris Owens more than likely for at least a majority of this season, if not the entire season. And so I, I couldn't justifiably do that. But for me, I got creative. And I'm going that my breakout offensive player is going to be Evan Neal now at a different position because I think that's crucial. I think he's at a more natural position for his skill set. He's very athletic for a guy who is his size. He's got the length to be an impact player and kind of shut down opposing defensive ends on the or edge rushers in general in the SEC. I think he quickly becomes one of the top offensive tackles in the country, and he gets recognized as such. And so I'm going to say that Evan Neal, breakout right tackle, was my choice. I, I like that. I, I do think he's in for for a huge year. And I also went off of the traditional board. I think most people are going to go with Trey Sanders or uh, John Mechie, or, or maybe they're a, a big Slade Bolden guy or a big Javon Baker guy um but i think most people are going to go with with those two i didn't because for for the same reasons i selected Najee harris as my offensive mvp i couldn't quite justify going with trey sanders as your breakout player because i'm not sure he's gonna get enough carries to really break out i mean he's he's gonna have he's gonna be successful with whatever amount of carries he gets i'm, I'm pretty confident of that with with his talent but i i don't know that he's gonna get I, I mean, what would what would it take for him to have the statistical output to be considered a, a breakout player? He'd probably have to get like 90 carries, maybe 80. Absolutely. I, That's actually a very I, good point with the Najee Harris thing. I don't know that Trey Sanders is going to get that unless injuries and or COVID get in the way and, and, and Trey Sanders has no choice but to take more carries. And, and you could say the same thing for John Mechie at wide receiver. Again, I think he's going to have – success but I don't know that he's going to have like what Waddle had in 2018 when he was second on the team in, in receiving yards going for almost 850 yards and seven touchdowns this year I don't think he's going to have that amount of production either because there are so many receiving threats especially at non-wide receiver positions um, with tight end and, and running back so 
I also went off the board with Mac Jones. I, I think Mac okay. is going to – I think Mac Jones is going to show people that he's actually a talented quarterback and he can make a lot of the throws that are required of this offense, if not all of them. He's not Tua Tungvaloa, but no one is is Tua. Like, no one has the level of accuracy that Tua has. But Mac is a supremely gifted quarterback who can make a lot of throws, who can test teams downfield accurately. He can operate this offense at a high level. And I, I think he's going to have a season that will surprise people. I, I think – People are anticipating game manager type numbers out of him. And while that may be his role to a a certain degree, especially when compared to what Tua's role was, I think he's going to have a big statistical year. If you were able to poll a thousand random Alabama fans and ask them what they think Mac Jones' stats will be, I, I think his season end stats will be at least 10 to 15 percent better than what that average outcome was if that makes sense that's actually a great point uh and, and i certainly think we, if if he can end up being the starting quarterback for the entirety of the season i think he will be considered a breakout uh offensive player because a lot of people just assumed he was the stopgap between Tua Tungvalu and Bryce Young and, and him actually getting. And I think that's why he's not a lot higher on a lot of these SEC quarterback rankings and things like that. It's people just assume at some point it's going to be the Bryce Young train. Uh, and I don't, that's certainly a possibility. I'm not going to completely discredit that whatsoever. I think Bryce Young is certainly talented enough for that to happen. But I also think that, it, that there is a world, a very real world that we could be living in where Mac Jones, is the starting quarterback for the entirety of 2020 and if that happens I think he'll definitely put up good enough numbers I mean there's just there's I don't see a whole lot of scenarios where he doesn't have a ton of success because of all the talent around him and I think he's a talented kid in his own right so I completely agree the the last guy that I want to mention before we move on because I really wanted to go with a Carl Tucker I've been a huge Carl Tucker stan all off season but I just haven't heard any sort of significant buzz out of camp about him. You know, Landon Dickerson was a guy who, when he went to Alabama, there were several people who covered the team who were mentioning, you know, that he was brought in for depth purposes. And I just didn't think that made sense for him uh, to have wanted to have come to Alabama from Florida State just to be a rotational bench guy. Um, so, and I kind of have had the same thoughts with Carl Tucker, but I just haven't heard the buzz once they got into camp that I kind of did last year. We all did last year regarding Landon Dickerson. So, I couldn't justifiably. I think you're still going to get a heavy dose of Miller Forrestal. Uh, I still think you're going to get some major tennis and Jaleel Billingsley is one that a lot of people, you know, that might have been the choice for a lot of fans. I've heard a lot of people hyping up ja, uh, Jaleel Billingsley. Yeah, it's me. just, I, uh, yeah, you being one of them. I just don't think that where there's too many bodies at that spot for any one particular to stand out, which is why I ultimately didn't go Carl Tucker. But I wanted to do my my, you know, typical stand for him and what I think he could potentially be for Alabama's offense if he ends up being the the, the balance at the position I think they need. And, and while it doesn't sound like it, he could still be your newcomer of the year, which we'll, we'll get to later after our defensive breakout player of the year. Who you got? This was another one that was tough. Uh, despite him being a newcomer, um, uh, I very strongly consider to Will Anderson just because of all the buzz that he's been generating out of camp. 
uh, Josh Joe was someone else that I considered. But for me, I went with Jordan Battle. You've been hearing great things about him. He's one of the only players in the secondary outside of Patrick Sertan who has any sort of significant experience. He played a lot last year. Didn't get a whole lot of starts necessarily, but he got a lot of snaps. Very highly ranked player coming out of high school. A lot of natural talent. Sort of a balanced player. Can do a little bit in coverage, but also is willing to to, to make an impact against the run. I think he's going to have a, a huge year for Alabama, even though that they're I think they're a lot deeper at that spot than I originally thought they would be. Um, I've heard good things about Daniel Wright and, and some others as well. But for me, uh, ultimately, it was Jordan Battle. What about you? He's, he's someone I considered, and I almost had us predict the team leader in interceptions. I didn't because it's a total crapshoot. Like, obviously, Patrick Sertan is the best defensive back on the team, but is he going to lead the team in interceptions? I doubt it because people aren't going to throw to him all that often. Um, but I, I have a similarly high opinion of Jordan Battle because if we did pick a team leader in interception, I probably would have gone with Jordan Battle, assuming people wouldn't throw it at Sertan and, and Battle has the most experience of anyone else in the in the secondary. I, I also went with a defensive back. I went with Josh Job. I was sir I don't want to say I was surprised, but it, it stood out to me when Pete Golding was so forward so early in preseason practice that Josh Job is the number two cornerback on this team, or at least he was that early in, in preseason, and they didn't seem to be entertaining any other options at the time. Everybody else, the Ronald Williams Juniors, the Brian Branch and Malachi Moore, DeMarco Hellams, Jalen Armour Davis, all of those guys were looking at possible money and star um, starting opportunities. So Job is someone who stood out to me in that regard, and he's freaky athletic, and he's got all the skills to be – a really good corner. He got a little bit of experience in that citrus bowl last year. Um, and, and frankly, a lot of people thought he was going to be the starter last year. Uh, a, a lot of people thought that Sertan would start at star giving Bama digs and Job as your, as your corners that didn't ultimately happen. But I, I think this will be Job's year. I think he's gonna, I, I think he's gonna impress some people. And I'm, I'm sure the, the digs haters out there will say he's, already better than what Diggs was last year. I'm, I'm probably going to disagree on that, but maybe maybe Job balls out and and, uh, and proves me wrong on that. But Josh Job is my defensive breakout player of the year. I love it. I, I love it because that was, you know, like I said, I, I considered a Will Anderson. Uh, Josh Job was the next one that I got to that I was like, man, I think he's got to be your front runner. But I, as I was working my way through it, I've been high on Jordan Battle for a while. I'm going to go ahead and stick with that um, just because Alabama typically – and granted, they have impact corners as well, don't get me wrong, but they always have that you know top uh, safety in the country, You know whether you're talking about Landon Collins, Mark Barron, Xavier McKinney, uh, Ronnie Harrison, even a guy like Deontay Thompson at the time back when he was playing. They always had that guy that's just known for being one of the top safeties in the country, and Jordan Battle, I think, has to step up and be that guy, and I think that he will. Uh, there's really been – no indication uh, to, to make me think otherwise. So for, I completely agree with, with your choice, though, in the sense of that that was by far my number two, and I, and I kind of went back and forth between those. But for Newcomer of the Year, who do you got there? Will Anderson. Uh, I'm, I'm in, man. I, I, I saw someone on, on Twitter saying that we're going to Ben Davis him, and, and I'm definitely hyper aware of that now, and I don't want to do that to him. But, man uh, – 
you've been around more of the recent Alabama preseasons than I have been, but I don't know that we've heard this much about a freshman in preseason practice. Like, no, I, I, I can believe that I, he isn't a huge factor in pass rush packages for this team, if not a little bit more later in the year. And see, that's I, I saw the Ben Davis post too. The comparison there, the the difference to me is that the all of the hype surrounding Ben Davis during that first season was coming from fans. None of it was coming from the coaching staff. This year is much different. You're getting it from fans, but the fans are getting are pushing it a lot more so because of the coaching staff and the things that they've been saying about Will Anderson. So that to me, that's the key difference here. And you just don't see you'll granted. Every offseason, you'll see a couple of freshmen get hyped up who are doing well. You know, Minka, was, he was coming through. Nick Saban made several comments about the the uh, impact that he was making, and they thought he would be able to help and contribute early. He ended up being a starter at Star. Um, but at the same time, it's, it just it does feel a lot different. And now I'm trying to decide, uh, you know, am I wrong in assuming that he's probably going to be a rotational third down situational pass rusher, a very impactful one. Don't get me wrong. A, a very important one, but just it, will he be a guy that ends up being actually a starter uh, and not necessarily, you know, obviously when they go the, the, the one outside linebacker in certain base packages with LeBron Ray playing the other edge, essentially that's going to be Christopher Allen more than likely, but in those, um, situations where they go their typical base package of a three four is will anderson going to be the other outside linebacker and, and ben davis you've heard good things about him so i don't want to completely say that's the case but he really in, in hindsight and i'm just going to go different because you know I, and to kind of take you through my thought process of why i made the decision that i did but in hindsight it's like it, one doesn't make sense the other doesn't so i'll, I'll explain that later but I also consider Will Anderson. He was my choice, but then I decided to pivot because I figured you were probably going to go that route. I decided to go with Brian Branch. I don't think he's going to be necessarily a full-time player seeing every single snap, but you've also heard great things about him throughout the offseason. And I just think that if I end up being correct and Will Anderson's in more of a rotational role, he might seem like the bigger impact player because he's going to be getting all the flashy sacks and things like that. But as far as snap counts and being able to come in and assume essentially maybe a starting position fairly early, I think Brian Branch could end up being the newcomer of the year from that standpoint. And it, it is at this point in the podcast where a lot of fans are going to be really upset that we didn't pick Bryce Young. Uh, because uh, even though I think everybody's starting to come to the realization that anybody who thought he was going to be a week one starter, that's more than likely not, not going to happen. And it's, it's possible that he might not be a starter all year. There's no way we could have justifiably said Bryce Young, but there's still those people out there who think, you know, and he's good. That does not mean we don't think he's going to be fantastic. He's going to, I'm just kind of picking around. But for me, I went with Brian Branch. Okay. That, that's, that's a fair one. And I've, I've got a, a feature on him coming probably early next week on, on tiesports.com and in the, in the Tuscaloosa news, we're going to get into some statistical things and, and more of position group and, and stats things uh, now, starting with the team leader in sacks. But before we do that, the team leader in deliciousness in your fridge is wicklespickles.com. They, they give you everything you could possibly want. Pickles, relishes, okras. There's a sandwich spread I want to hear from anyone who has taken the Wickles Pickles okra and fried it like a, like a traditional fried okra alongside maybe 
a fish fry of some kind or or maybe a nice grilled salmon. I'm I'm curious if uh if a uh, Wickles Pickles okra holds up to uh to a fried treatment. Go to wicklespickles.com to learn more about all of their products. Wickles Pickles, let's get wicked. From team leader in deliciousness in your fridge to team leader in sacks. Who you got, Clint? And see, this is where things don't make a lot of sense because you know I, I thought about thought about going with an interior guy like a Christian Barmore, or LeBron Ray. I thought those would be good choices. Mm-hmm. Also, from just the snap count perspective, Chris Rowland also crossed my mind. But I think even in a part time role, I think Will Anderson leads the team in sacks. And wow. if that ends if that ends up being the case, it's very hard for me to not justifiably say that Will Anderson is the newcomer of the year. Uh, because that would be such a significant statistic for a true freshman on a very talented defense. And that's why as I was working my way through this, I was like, well, that doesn't make much sense. But on the defensive breakout player, I mentioned Will Anderson as a possibility as the newcomer of the year. I mentioned Will Anderson as a possibility. So we finally have arrived on Will Anderson being my choice for team leader in sacks. Even if he's in a rotational role, I think he's going to be any time that there is a, a obvious pass situation, I think he's going to be one of the most heavily relied on players. And I think that I don't see any other guy that's just a dominant pass rusher. And granted, there, there are some dominant interior guys like Christian Barmore, but the reason that I didn't go with him is I, typically – it's going to be an edge player that's able to rack up bigger sack numbers. Uh, you know, when you look at defensive tackles and things like that in the NFL, they can be really good, impactful interior pass rushers, but they're sitting there in that, you know, five, seven, eight sack range, and that's good, unless you're Aaron Donald, who's a complete freak. But Will Anderson, uh, and we saw it a few years ago with, with Tim Williams. He was a rotational uh, player who was either in the conversation for leading the team in sacks or being the leader in sacks. So it, it's it's not like it's unprecedented, but getting it from a true freshman, that's a different story. By, by Tim Williams, do you mean Brandon Chicken? <laughs> yes, I do. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was just I was just confused there for, for a second. People people aren't aren't necessarily used to, to the other name. So I just wanted to clarify that for any listener who was confused. Um I, I like the boldness of the pick. I admittedly went vanilla. I went LeBrian Ray. Uh I, I realize I, I actually had a little bit of hesitation going with a defensive lineman after what we saw last year, uh where let's see, fourteen of Alabama's thirty two sacks came from their top two outside linebackers. But that was actually a little bit of an of an anomaly in the I'm, I'm scrolling through right now in the two seasons prior to that Alabama had a had two defensive linemen in their in their top three in, in sacks Raquan Davis and Deshaun Hand in 2017 and Isaiah Bugs and Quinnen Williams in 2018 before um, last year where Anthony Jennings and Terrell Lewis were the top two guys so I went with LeBron Ray, I was I was tempted to go with Christopher Allen, um, but but I think some of those freshmen are going to demand to be on the field in pass rushing situations and possibly take some opportunities away from from Christopher Allen. Um, so I'm going to go with LeBron Ray, who uh, assuming health will be on the field for more snaps than any defensive lineman this year. I really don't think it's going to be all that close. That's actually really interesting because, you know, once you said that, I have this stigma in my head about 
interior defensive linemen and the sack numbers compared to edge players. And really, once you made mention of that, as far as because I started, and as soon as you started that sentence, I was like, wait a minute, he's got a point. In 2018, like you said, it was Isaiah Bugs, uh, an interior defensive lineman, or and these guys sometimes played on the edge. They're not strictly interior guys, but it's just you know, what they would a, be. I do think yeah. you're. If we're creating a perfect pass rush package for Alabama, you're probably having Christian Barmore somewhere in the middle, and maybe. LeBron Ray like off on a like off of a tackle or maybe in between a guard tackle gap with two outside backers on the on the edges of of the tackles. So I I, I do think Ray is going to be doing a lot of this from somewhere other than the A gaps. Yeah, no, I agree completely. And what's interesting is that, but as you continue to go through, like you said, Isaiah Bugs, more of an interior guy, led the team in 2018. Raquan Davis led the team, more of an interior guy in 2017, 2016, and 2015. And let's see, 20 uh, yeah, so 2016 and 2015, you had Jonathan Allen, another guy who was considered more of an interior defensive lineman. And what what? You know, the, the 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 Washington football team went from being a three-man front or a 3-4 defense to a 4-3 defense, and now Jonathan Allen went from being a 3-4 defensive end to a 4-3 defensive tackle. So he's, a, he's always been considered really an interior guy, and there's there's some nuances and differences between those two spots. But, uh, you know, even though he lines up sometimes out there on the edge or he did for Alabama in a three-man front, he's more considered an interior guy. So – me sitting here and saying, well, typically a lot of your big sack numbers uh, come from your exterior pass rushers, that hadn't been the case for Alabama. So I think that you picking LeBron Ray, it fits that mold perfectly. I'm still going to stick with my uh, decision to go with Will Anderson just because I think, and, and he's going to be extremely fresh if he's not getting a full-time uh, workload. He's going to be focusing in on one thing to do extremely well, and that is when you are on the field, you put pressure on the quarterback. And if, if, if that ends up being the case, I think he could also be in the conversation. But you make a very good point with LeBron Ray and the sack numbers from interior guys, and it's something that I knew in the back of my head. But as I was thinking about this, that didn't really register, and I think I was very stuck in 2019 with all that edge uh, pressure that Alabama got from their exterior guys. So that's a very good point. Uh, next what what's the next one on the list? It's a trigger warning for Alabama fans. So so if you're if you're driving while listening to this, just really grip the wheel, maybe slow down about five miles an hour so you don't cause harm to anyone around you. We're gonna talk about special teams. Are are punting and kicking gonna be any good this year? Oh, oh this is tough. Um I I'm Do you want me to get first? I will. Go for it. I'll let you start. I, I think kicking is going to be good, and I think punting is going to be better. Um, uh, That's now, good way to put it. Punting last year, uh, uh, <laughs> I, this is going to sound more mean than I intend it to be. It's hard to not be better than what Alabama was punting last year. They ranked 101st nationally in yards per punt at uh, 39.91. They were one of – 30 FBS teams to not average at least 40 yards per punt last year. So it's it's hard to not be better than what they were last year. But I do think they will be better maybe in the, I don't know, uh, roughly nationally average, maybe a little bit better than that. Whoever the, 
the punter is. I'm, I'm still of the belief it's going to be Ty Perrine, but maybe maybe someone else wins that wins that job. The the competition has been pretty pretty strong lately. Um, I, I still think it's going to be better and more consistent than it was last year. Uh, and I don't blame Alabama fans for just casting this aside because they've been through this so many times and it's a vicious cycle that has repeated itself with so many highly touted kicking prospects. But I, I really do think Will Reichert is the answer. I think he's different than some of the other highly rated kicking prospects that came to Alabama and didn't work for for whatever reason. I think there's something different in his temperament and his work ethic and his physical talent that will make him someone that's actually dependable as a as a place kicker um, at, at Bama. And he very well could have been that last year if not for for the hip injury. So I, I think kicking is going to be good, genuinely empirically good for the first time in a long time, thanks to, to Will Riker. And I think the punting will be better uh, approaching nationally average, if not a little bit better than that. I wouldn't say good, but I'd say better. I, th- I think that's a very fair assessment across the board. And, and f- you know, for fans, for a comparison, um, you saw it with Steven Goskowski in that Tennessee Titans Denver Broncos game on Monday night, the late game. You, you see a guy who has been one of the best kickers in the NFL for a very long time. He's getting towards the end of his career. He's no longer with the Patriots, gets signed by the Titans earlier in the week, uh, You know, expected to be their starting kicker. They thought they had kind of figured that position out and they would have somebody that they could rely on. He goes out and he misses three field goals, and he misses an extra point, has an absolutely terrible game. But in the biggest moment of the game, a game-winning field goal after missing three field goals, and an extra point, one of the worst nights statistically that a kicker's probably ever had. He comes out and he knocks down the biggest one uh, uh, to, to really save the game for Tennessee and allow them to get a victory. And those that's what we mean when we say special. Someone that's got that it factor. I'm not saying that he's still an elite kicker by any means. I think everything else in that game proves otherwise. But you got to think from a mental standpoint, him being jogged out there after what he had done, knowing the game was on the line, that is the, as much pressure as you will ever see a football player face. And he stepped up and he knocked the, the, the one that mattered down and help Tennessee get a victory. That's what we mean when we say we feel like Will Riker's different. You know, he brings that kind of mentality uh, from people that I've talked to. We haven't got this huge chance to see it on a collegiate level. He's missed some field goals, uh, you know, that he shouldn't have probably missed in his the, the very small sample size that we've seen. But we we also haven't really gotten to see him come in and how does he battle that and overcome that, or is he able to, or is it a spiral factor like it's been with a lot of other players in Alabama history? I think that's the important uh, difference between those two, and it's one reason why I also think the kicking game is going to be a lot better because I do think they have that type of player in Will Riker now. As far as the punting, I completely agree with you. Uh, Good, I I wouldn't necessarily say that. It could be good if Ty Piron could end up being a lot more consistent he could end up being a very good punter if he ends up being the guy. There's other people involved in the competition. You might see the same thing we saw last year where it was a committee approach. It's just whoever is riding the hot leg at that point. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that's going to translate to strong game performances. But, uh, yeah, I, I would say that you're pretty spot on in your analysis there. So I completely agree. Let's move on to the strongest position on the team. This will hopefully help. Uh, fans who were triggered by Alabama special teams and Alabama kicking, to be more specific. Um, 
help them wash their mouths of that ugly topic. Um, <laughs> strongest position on the team. I'll I'll take this one first. I've I've said it on pretty much every radio station and podcast that that I've been on, probably including this one. But if if not, I'm about to change that. I think Alabama is going to have the best offensive line in the country this year. I think they will win the Joe Moore Award given to the best unit in the country. I would not be surprised if if one or two of Alabama's offensive linemen are finalists or possibly winners of national awards for offensive linemen, your Outlands, your Remingtons, um, Nagurski, I think, et cetera. I think Bama's going to have the best offensive line in the nation. So while they're going to be good and deep at places like running back and, and possibly defensive line, I think they're going to have the best offensive line in, in the country. So that's got to be the answer for me. This, and see, this was the difficulty with this question. It is I started looking through and I was like, man, I think that they have some of the deepest positions at multiple with multiple units in the entire country. And the offensive line is included. It's not, you know, like Tennessee, they're, they're pretty loaded as far as their starting five, Kentucky pretty loaded with their starting five. I don't think they have the depth that Alabama has uh, along the offensive line where there's probably at least three or four other guys that you could plug in and get extremely effective play uh, at, at the different or varying spots along the offensive line. So I think that's a great choice. Absolutely. I think that as far as the way ahead. that I put that is I think Alabama's offensive line is kind of injury proof because not only are Emilecki or junior Darian Dalcor, uh, possibly Chris Owens, if, if he's not the starter, two of those three guys are going to be sitting on the bench waiting to, to come into games. Plus if you get big developmental jumps from Tommy Brown and Pierce quick and uh, possibly Amari kite too. Uh, maybe JV and Cohen is a is a freshman who could contribute immediately if the opportunity comes to him. You're, you have all that depth, and then you have so many guys that are capable of playing multiple positions. Evan Neal started at guard last year. He's going to start at tackle this year. Landon Dickerson could probably play all five offensive positions. Chris Owens could could live a lot of places on the offensive line. Deontay Brown has played both guard spots i i think this line is more or less injury proof that's a, that's a great point and i completely agree i mean we saw chris owens get starts at left tackle and everybody thought that he might end up being the ultimately the guy if they decided to leave uh alex leatherwood at right guard it would have made no sense from a body point uh you know body build standpoint but uh they ultimately made the move and and but chris owens has the versatility landon dickerson i mean you covered everybody um so i think that's a very good point and i it's i think you really sold that extremely well uh granted i mean you could talk about other position running back you know that's that's a spot like we said roydell williams would probably be the number two running back on on a ton of other teams he's the number four guy or it looks like he's going to be the number four guy and he might not he might, he might only see carries and mop-up duty in certain situations so running back was a position that I considered defensive line like you mentioned you talk about all the experience that they got last year with those true freshmen you talk about adding Tim Smith who I think is an immediate impact type of player at least in a rotation role you talk about getting LeBron Ray back from injury um you know DJ Dell was a guy who played the majority of last year but he also got banged up towards the end of the year and you that gave other guys opportunities to get even more reps so I think defensive line and but for me I 
I ended up going with a position that I've kind of preached and you talk about going from being one of the weakest standpoints of Alabama's roster in 2019 to being one of the strongest, probably being the, and I think it is the strongest. I think it's on linebacker. Uh, from a depth standpoint, I think you've got five different inside linebackers for two spots that could be impactful players. People want to trash on Shane Lee. He has limitations, but there are things that he does extremely well. He was given uh, – they don't have the green dot in college football. That's an NFL thing as far as the communication and, and the helmet from the, from the coaching staff. You don't have that in college football, but he was the one – trying to make things happen. He got help from Shaheem Carter and Xavier McKinney, but he had a lot of responsibilities as a first-year player that he wouldn't normally have had. you got Christian Harris, who also got a ton of experience. I think he's going to be the starter next to Dylan Moses, who is the, you know, I guess now that Michael Parsons, or not Michael, Micah Parsons is no longer, uh, I guess that they, no, he opted out, right? So even though the Big Ten's coming back, he's not going to be playing. Um, but with, with him out of the equation, I think Dylan Moses is, is one of, if not the top linebackers in the country, Shane Lee, like I said, impactful player. You got Joshua McMillan coming back from a veteran standpoint, from a knowing what to do standpoint, you can't really have anybody that's more experienced just being in the program as a guy who's going into his sixth year. And then you also got Ali Keho, who I think is still developing, but as far as being a special teams contributor, as far as being a guy who can provide situational reps, and if you ended up needing to rely on him for whatever reason the position gets hit hard, I think that he would be good enough to get the job done in a lot of instances. And so uh, when you're five deep at at a spot that needs two positions uh, or two starting spots, I mean, that's that's two and a half uh, players, you know, deep as far as that goes. So I ultimately went with inside linebacker, but there were so many different positions that you could have argued. And I think you did a great job arguing for the offensive line. We have three more questions to, to answer. Let's try to get through these relatively quickly. How many first team All-Americans is Alabama going to have this year? This is tough. Um, man, uh you would have to think – I would think that Najee Harris would be involved in the conversation. Um, I would think that uh, Devontae Smith could be involved as a receiver. You're talking about Jalen Waddell being an all-purpose guy. I think you got a couple offensive linemen, definitely Alex Leatherwood, Deontay Brown, uh, maybe Landon Dickerson defensively, Dylan Moses, Patrick Sertan. I don't think they're going to have as many defensively. Uh, but I would – I'm just going to slap a random number – on it uh, i haven't really dove into the specific numbers but i'm gonna say seven wow do, do you have a list yeah uh i mean if you're going through this if it ends up and this is going to be the difference because you got chuba hubbard you got uh travis etn you got the running back's going to be difficult but i think if Najee harris if he ends up being the offensive mvp for alabama this year like we think he's going to be if we think alabama's involved in the conversation i could see him getting first team recognition so i'm going to say uh Najee harris i'm going to say Devonte smith uh jalen waddle uh, as an all-purpose guy I'm going to say Alex Leatherwood. I'm going to say either Deontay Brown, Evan Neal, or Lana Dickerson. I think they at least get maybe one more. If they're the best offensive line in the country, I can see them double dipping. Uh, so what does that put us up to? Five, I think. You're talking Dylan Moses and Patrick Sertan. I think that puts them up to seven. Okay. Um, I, I, I get it. I'm trying to quickly find out when the last time someone had – two players on the same 
first team All-American offensive line. Uh, it was actually it was more recent than I thought. It was 2017 when both Mike McGlinchey and Quentin Nelson made it for Notre Dame. Let me see if that was an outlier or if there was something uh, again that happened somewhat recently. I'm back to 2015 with nothing, and and then the Wikipedia listing is kind of letting me let me letting me down here so that that does surprise me it's happened uh more recently than i anticipated for the reasons you mentioned about Najee harris having tight competition with chuba hubbard travis etienne even kenneth gainwell at memphis um and such a small amount of spots there's only two spots on the on the team for running back you could make the same case for patrick sertan at cornerback and dylan moses at inside linebacker I went conservatively, and I said four. I think Alex Leatherwood is for sure going to be there on the offensive line. I think Jalen Waddell is for sure going to be there as a return man. And I think two of the three, of Sertan, of Patrick Sertan, Najee Harris, and Dylan Moses, are going to be first-team All-Americans. So uh, four in, in total. So did, Go ahead. So did, did, did you I, – I, you might have said him. Did you say Devontae Smith? No. Um, if, if he's, if he's on there, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, there's, there's a lot of good wide receivers out there. Maybe a couple of them play in more stat friendly systems that, that make them more likely to be first team all Americans, or at least get the votes for it than they might otherwise. Uh, cause again, I think Alabama is going to be a little more run forward, um, than, than it was previously. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if all three of the guys I mentioned earlier, um, Sertan, Harris, and Moses, if all of them make the first team All-American team, shouts to the Royal Protector of the Trust Crown. Wouldn't surprise me one bit if Devontae Smith makes it. Maybe LeBron Ray makes it. Maybe a second offensive lineman makes it. Getting up to five or six wouldn't surprise me at all, but I, I went on the conservative side and went with four. That's fair. That's very fair. And I mean, I'll say this, uh, and it's something that I didn't really think about because when we were talking about this, uh, you're now that you're adding the big 10 back into the mix. Um, there were a lot of preseason stuff that, that didn't include the big 10 or the pac 12. And when you take those two power five conferences out of the equation, that's where kind of I was getting, and I still think having one power five out of the equation makes it to where the possibility for having one, maybe two more than you typically would, that helps. But getting the Big Ten back uh, into the mix, and they're probably going to be involved in the conversation for for a lot of these postseason awards and, and All-American teams and stuff, that will make it more difficult. Uh, but, yeah. I, you know, I was looking at guys that opted out, like a Sean Wade for Ohio State. He's already opted out. The fact that, uh, you know, the Big Ten's coming back doesn't affect him. You talk about Rashad Bateman, uh, the receiver from Minnesota. He would have been involved in the conversation. You have Kenneth Gainwell there at Memphis. He's decided to opt out. Jamar Chase at LSU, he's – Say what? He, he opted out. I missed that. Uh, Demar Chase or Kenneth? No, Gainwell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gainwell opted out. Oh. So they, yeah, they had to. It was like the week before the season started, and they had to pivot to a different running back for that first game. Oh, and he looked pretty good. Uh, Rodriguez is his last name, but anyway, so you've had a lot. I know him. 
Yeah, uh, th- th- there have been several players who would have been in this conversation who have opted out this year. So that's why I kind of started to lean towards. I think Alabama being one of those teams that, that, that they'll just be the default. You know, you're trying to figure out, okay, who are the guys that we can include on this list with all these different players opting out? Well, Alabama was really good. They got a lot of impactful players. Let's put them. So we'll, we'll kind of have to see. I do think that you you were probably pretty smart going the conservative route. I decided to get really bold and probably made me look like a homer, a lot more of a homer than I am, but, uh, you know, so we've got strongest position on the team. We got how many first team all Americans do we have any more? Two more. Let's, let's do these quickly and get out of here. Bounce back player. Okay. So I I think the obvious choice is Dylan Moses. Um, Mm -hmm. so the fact that you mentioned it as a a bounce back player, because I started thinking about this when we were talking about this last night, uh, I kind of wrote down a list for myself of guys who I would consider for this. And obviously Dylan Moses was the one that made the most sense, but I also want to kind of cheat and, and go with a bounce back person, not a player. And I'm going to go Pete Golding as my choice, as far Ooh. as, you know, a, a bounce back candidate. I think he's going to prove that he's a, a, a much better defensive coordinator than people have given him credit for after one season, essentially one season. So he's going to be my choice. The fact that you mentioned it as a player, I'll go with uh, with Dylan Moses. So a little bit of a combination there. I, I like that. So uh, some obvious candidates for me, I've, I've already mentioned earlier, I already have LeBron Ray leading the team in sacks. I already have Dylan Moses as the defensive MVP. I already have Will Reichert making the kicking good. Uh, so my bounce back player is going to be DJ Dale. I think he had moments last year where he was – dominant even against sec competition and injuries really held down his production last year if he's able to to be healthy for for the entire season i think he's gonna i think he's gonna really make something of of himself uh, as as a well-rounded player but especially against the run and i think that's i think part of the christian barmore uh, hype fest over the offseason has kind of let DJ Dale slide under the radar because he was absent for the final three to four games of the year. Uh, I can't remember exactly, but because he was absent for that and Christian Barmore got on the field a little bit more late in the season, and those are the the last things you remember. I think there uh, a big jump for him kind of ignores that DJ Dale could still be the top guy on the interior of the of the defensive line. So I think DJ Dale is my, my bounce back player. And then finally the best of the rest, we're going to take a couple of guys who we haven't hit on in all of this and identify them as someone who will have a big impact on, on the season. So I'll run through myself real quick. I've got Najee Harris, Dylan Moses, Mac Jones, Josh Job, Will Anderson, LeBron Ray, I've already mentioned Will Reichert. I think the offensive line is the strongest position on the team. Uh, I identified Leatherwood and Waddle as sure thing, first-team All-Americans, uh, with possible nods for Sertan and Dylan Moses. I have DJ Dale as my bounce-back player. The, the obvious one out of there is Devontae Smith. I haven't – I've barely mentioned Devontae Smith in, in all of this, so I think he's going to he's gonna have a, a big role in, in what Alabama does this year. Um, so Devonte is, is the, the best of the rest for me. He's someone I haven't identified yet. And, and he's, he's the one for me. Do you for want me, me to run I could, I think, one more? Say what? 
Do you want me to run over your list one more time to remind you guys you've mentioned? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so you have you mentioned Najee. Um, on the offensive line, you have Evan Neal as a breakout player. You have Leatherwood and another offensive lineman as your first-team All-Americans. You've mentioned Dylan Moses. You've mentioned Jordan Battle, Brian Branch, and Will Anderson. Uh, you think inside linebacker is the strongest position on the team, and Pete Golding is your is your bounce back player. So best best of the rest. Who's someone you haven't mentioned yet that you think is going to have a big impact on this year's team? Okay, this is uh, I, I I mentioned the unit in particular as my strongest unit, but for me, somebody specifically that I didn't mention a ton. I just mentioned him in passing as far as being a part of the group, but that's Christian Harris. I think that he ends up taking a huge step forward this year and he's not going to be Dylan Moses very few people can be uh but at the same time I think he's going to be a guy he was impactful last year as he started to get more comfortable against the run you would have to think an entire offseason if it even if it wasn't a regular offseason more camp reps things like that if he ends up being the starter I don't know if that's a sure thing at this point but if he does I think he's a guy who can make a huge impact because he's going to have a guy that he can look to playing next to him and Dylan Moses, where if there's something that he still doesn't know, Dylan will know and be able to tell him what to do. That's going to make him a lot more comfortable and confident out there. And one thing that we saw from Christian Harris was when he's playing confidently, he is a very impactful player. And I don't think that we saw that a ton in coverage last year, despite the fact that I think he has a lot of natural ability in coverage. So if he takes that step uh, forward with the improvement with the run, like we saw over the course of last season, I think you know Christian Harris and Dylan Moses end up being the best inside linebacker duo in the entire country. One more I want to add to this best of the rest before I go is Justin Aboigby. Um, I, I, I had trouble identifying any one defensive lineman as a defensive breakout player or possibly other than LeBron Ray as a team leader in sacks or even the strongest position on the team, because it's hard to say for sure which one or how many of those defensive linemen are going to break out among Barmore, Fedarian Mathis, Justin Aboigby, Byron Young, uh, to a lesser extent, Ishmael Sofsher, Braylon Ingram, uh, and then some of the, the freshmen coming in, Jamarian Latham and Jamil Burroughs, for example. But Nick Saban said Justin Aboigby has been the one who's been most consistent in in practice thus far. So I'm I'm, I'm going to have some blind faith in in Saban's uh, camp long evaluation and and identify Justin Aboigby as someone who's going to have a impact on the on on the season. Perfect. All right, man. That's going to wrap it up. We're sitting at 58 and a half minutes right now, essentially. So we got just under the hour mark. We do a very good job of wrapping it up when we need to. We're both very long-winded, but it's always good talking through a lot of this stuff with you. This has been a lot of fun. We'll kind of get to revisit it at the end of this season and see who actually ends up uh, in certain spots uh, and who was able to predict that and have a little fun with it. So, Brett, I know you're busy. Appreciate you hopping on here with me, and I'll, uh, I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, later on in the week we're going to do a camp update, so we'll we'll get more into the the more recent events of of the team later on in the week. Absolutely. All right, this has been another episode of the Bama Beat Podcast, brought to you by Wickles Pickles. Sweet, I'll make me some lunch before.